I got a cool bandana. Isn't that fun? Camo, I'm going to war, baby. All right, will you pray with me? Uh, Lord Jesus. It is a the supreme privilege of my life to live with you, um, to honor you. I just, I love you, Jesus. You're perfect in every way. And I thank you for the cross tonight that took all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our messiness. I thank you that you took it all for, for me and for each person in this room. Oh, what freedom we have in you, God. I thank you, God, that there is a, <laughs> there's freedom to not be perfect and that there's permission to be messy because of how much you love us. And so we just love you. We honor you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All righty, y'all. Uh, how many of you were here last week? Awesome. Uh, for those of you who weren't here, just bear with me for a couple couple minutes and then you'll start getting it. Um, immediately after service last week, I got into my car and uh, I, got, I got bummed because I feel like I, I did a very poor job contextualizing a few statements that I made last week um, in regards to praise. And I think uh, it could have been very easily due to my poor uh, contextualization of the comment, uh, to feel judged, um, from the words I was saying, to feel condemned in regards to the comment about sitting in worship with our arms crossed. And, uh, I just wanted to say that I'm sorry if that hurt anybody in here. Um, if you felt judged, if you felt condemned in any way, uh, I just want to tell you that I'm sorry. And that does not accurately reflect my heart, uh, at all. And so it was truly a, uh, a comment that I made and I forgot to add two sentences before to contextualize it. And so I want this house, I long for this house to be a house uh, where we can come and worship wherever and however the Lord is leading us. You know, like that's what I want more than anything. And I know the Lord meets us in so many ways. He meets us in the silence. He meets us in the mountaintops. He meets us in the dancing, in the morning, in the laughing. He meets us in so many ways. And so if you were hurt, uh, I just didn't want to like blow through and keep going. If you were hurt by that comment and felt judged, I just, as a pastor, I say, I'm sorry. And I ask that you forgive me. Uh, and I hope to communicate my heart in purity today. Amen. Okay. Yeah. You know, my, my heart, uh, for this series is, is not to put a heavy yoke on us, um, of what worship is supposed to look like. Like there, the last thing I want is for a heavy yoke to come on us as a community. Uh, but I will say I am extremely, extremely passionate human being. If <laughs> you haven't been able to tell, <laughs> I am an extremely passionate human being and I am passionate about seeing the purity of worship restored in the bride of Christ. 
Like I am passionate with all of my heart. Like there are so many things that are fighting for our worship each and every day. There are so many things that are coming against us as the church, as the body of Christ that, that want to steal our worship away from the King of glory. And I feel like commissioned and on a mission to like hear from the Lord to see how he is leading us in this time to worship because it is time for purity to be restored in worship. It is time for us to be a people who truly love the Lord, our God, with all of our hearts, with all of our minds, with all of our souls, and with all of our strengths. And so I'm passionate about this, and I will continually be passionate about this because I believe the Lord wants to refine in us something beautiful as a community. Amen? Awesome. So, so far, uh, what we've talked about is being Levites. We've talked about Thanksgiving, uh, which is the heart posture in which we come into and enter, enter into the presence of God. And then last week, we briefly talked about praise. And, and both of these things, Thanksgiving and praise, are aspects of worship, but they aren't worship in totality. Does that make sense? So there's so many other ways we can worship, but Thanksgiving and praise are two things that we see through Throughout scripture, which is how a people respond to God and praise is the expression. It is the expression of highly exalting God for his worthiness. And last week we talked about that when we express ourselves to him, whether it's bowing down, raising our hands, dancing, shouting, just gazing into his beauty, something happens when we step into praise. And it says that he is enthroned on the praises of his people. And so when we worship him, we are building a throne and a place for him to dwell on. Listen to this. This is so good. Zach Neese, who wrote a book uh, called How to Worship a King. It's a, it's a really great book that's been giving me a lot of language. It says, our praise built a seat of honor for our king to come and rest his glory on. Our praises are building a throne for him to sit on in our midst. He continues, church, we have a big God. When we praise him, are we building a throne big enough to hold his weight? <laughs> are we expressing ourselves? Are we allowing how we truly feel inside of us about his worthiness? Are we expressing that to him? And he, But here's the deal. We can talk about praise and thanksgiving and expressing ourselves to the Lord and, and telling the Lord, thank you with our mouth. We can talk about these things all we want and they're good and they carry weight. But the truth is, if we do not have the heart of worship, all it is is words and actions. More than, than praising him and expressing ourselves to him, more than telling him thank you, if our heart is not pure in worship, then we've completely missed it and all we're doing is performing for all the days of our life. And I'm not interested in performing for him, I'm interested in giving him our hearts. And I believe, what is it? First uh, Samuel, it says that the, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so today we're just going to talk about the heart of worship. Does that sound good? And so simply, I mean, we could probably talk for a really, really long time on the heart of worship. Uh, but the heart of worship in its most simplistic, simplistic way is I long to love the Lord my God 
with all of my heart, with all of my mind, with all of my soul, and all my strength. That is the heart of worship, that everything that I do, everything that I do, the way I spend my money, the way I sing, the way I dance, the way I treat my wife, the way I treat my friends is unto the Lord. It's to show him that he is worthy to love him with all that I am. It is a lifestyle. The heart of worship is a lifestyle that demonstrates he is worthy of it all. It's not just words. It's actually demonstrating that I don't live my own life. I live in submission to the king of glory. I live in a way that is countercultural. I am a bondservant for the king of glory. And I believe truly this word bondservant like encapsulates the heart of worship so beautifully. And if you don't know what a bondservant is, a bondservant is, is somebody uh, who served his master, but he was set free and his, his time of service was done. Yet a bondservant is somebody who chooses to stay with his master after his time of service because of how much he loves his master. And that's a picture of what the heart of worship is. It says, I am so in love with you, God. I am so in love with how beautiful you are that I'm choosing all the days of my life to be a servant unto you because you are worthy of every last breath of my life. And I love this. We see throughout the New Testament, Paul, Peter, uh, Jude, I believe Timothy, they all called it. They could have been like, I'm the miracle guy. I'm the shadow healer. I'm, you know, all these cool things. And they say, no, I'm a bond servant for Christ. They could have said, I'm one of the 12 apostles. How awesome am I? No, no, no. They say, I am a bond servant for the king. And I believe that's what he wants to do in us. He wants to make us bond servants. He wants to make us ones that live all of our lives to serve him with purity in our hearts, to love him with all that we have. Amen. And I believe one of the, the most beautiful examples of worship that is expressed in the Bible uh, comes from Luke 7, 36 through 50. Scott, let me hear an amen in the back. There he is. I was uh, hesitant uh, to even bring up this scripture because I feel like, uh, honestly, we've become numb to this story, which is just an utter tra tragedy, because uh, I believe it's one of the most beautiful, beautiful, beautiful stories of what pure, authentic worship looks like. Are you ready for it? So Jesus is... Uh, on the move, people know who he is at this point, and people are kind of like, what on earth is going on with this guy, Jesus? Uh, there are people, he, at this point, he's healed a bunch of people. At this point, he is uh, already starting to cause some drama, and here we are in Luke 7, 37, 36 through 50. It says, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at a table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. 
Now, when the Pharisee had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose from whom had the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, although they are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And I know a lot of you are familiar with the story, but just to like freshen it up for you, this would have been one of the most scandalous, radical things you could have ever ever, ever done. And this woman, the sinful woman, scholars believe that she was probably a prostitute. And so here is Jesus, this new rabbi that is on the scene who many have heard is doing signs and wonders and miracles, potentially could be the Messiah, is, is at the house of a Pharisee, a, re, a religious ruler, and they're dining. And in the middle of their conversation, in comes this prostitute and she comes at his feet and gives all of her oil, all of her perfume. The oil the, that she poured on his feet was probably worth a year's wages, a lot of scholars believe. She caused an absolute scene, absolute scene falls on his feet. And in first Corinthians, listen to this. It says that a woman's hair is her glory. And this woman with her glory chooses to wash Jesus's dirty feet. She made herself completely undignified before the Lord. And the thing that I love about this is we have no idea why she did it. All we, we don't know if Jesus talked to her. We don't know if Jesus healed her earlier. We have no idea. But there was something about Jesus to where this woman who was a sinner, who would have been a downcast, nobody would have honored, nobody would have pursued, nobody would have looked at. And most religious people would just look at her and say, you are the scum of the earth, feels permission to approach Jesus because something in her heart was set ablaze to where she just falls on her feet and offers all of her dignity, all of her glory, every, all of probably her savings and just says, Jesus, it's all for you. It's a scandalous thing. Did you know this is the only time in the, in the gospels that we see that Jesus felt loved? except for by his father. It never says in the gospels that he felt loved by his friends, that he felt loved by anyone, but by this prostitute, he felt loved. 
He felt loved because she offered all that she was to him. She offered herself her authentic, messy, messy self. She didn't come in trying to pretend to be anyone. She walked in a prostitute. She didn't come in in some like fancy clothing being like, I have to oppress this rabbi. She must have seen the way that Jesus loved people. She must have seen the way that he healed people. He must have seen that there was something about this Jesus that he hangs out with the sinners. He hangs out with the ones that nobody wants to be with. And she felt permission to approach him and offer him everything. And then here you have Simon who's sitting there, who's thinking to himself, Jesus can read his thoughts. It's one of my favorite parts of that whole thing. And Jesus knows that Simon is sitting in self-righteousness. He's sitting in pride. He's sitting in arrogance and says, only if Jesus knew what kind of woman this was, then he surely wouldn't allow him, her to touch him. And we see this beautiful commentary on the whole story where Jesus looks at Simon Peter and says, Simon, let me ask you a story. <laughs> he says, one owes 500, the other owes 50. Who loves more? Who loves more? And obviously the one with the bigger debt you have judged rightly. And Jesus, listen to this. He said, I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. This would have been a very normal thing to do. It would have been a very normal thing to do to give water to the feet of somebody that walks in. But he did not show Jesus any honor. Yet this woman, who was a prostitute, did. But here's the, here's the part that I think is so important to look at. He says, therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. If we are not in touch with our own need to be forgiven, then we won't have love in our hearts to offer him. If we are in touch with our own human messiness, with our own human brokenness, we will not have love to offer him. Simon was sitting there. The king of glory is in his dining room, but he was so lost in days and self-righteousness. But the woman who touched him, she knew she needed a savior. And because she knew she needed a savior, she didn't have to perform an act. She just came and offered who she truly was because there was something about this Jesus that she knew she had to have. And so therefore she offered all that she was to him. If we want to grow in our love for Jesus, I, this, if we could get this one thing, we would become the most radical, beautiful worshipers on the face of this earth. If we truly each and every day were confronted with the reality of the cross, that there is the king of glory who came down to this earth and me and you put him on a cross. We nailed him to a tree. 
And if we don't keep that at the front of our minds, if we do not keep at the front of our minds the reality that we were lost and now we're found, that we were blind and now we see, that we were, we were sick and now we're healed. If we do not keep this in the front of our minds, then we will not have love in our hearts to offer him. The power of the cross is the most powerful thing that has ever been and ever will be. It is always about the cross and it always will be the cross of Jesus. And sometimes I just honestly, um, I feel like as a Christ, as Christians, we, 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 We'll sing about the resurrection a lot and it's awesome. Jesus rose from the grave and he is living in glory and it is wonderful and amazing. But sometimes we rush past Good Friday and we just get to Easter. But we put him there and we still have need for him. <laughs> we still have a crazy need for him. If we want to grow in worship, we have to grow in humility because humility is the precondition to enter into the heart of worship. If we aren't humble, if we aren't uh, looking at the cross daily and getting fresh revelation of what he paid for, <laughs> then how are we going to have love to offer him? Lord, I just pray that we had grown humility. I pray that we'd be like the adulterous woman and just recognize our, our own brokenness and need for a savior. I'm so thankful for the Hebrew word of worship that's, that's most often translated worship. It simply just means to bow. It's not that complicated. It just simply means to bow. If we want to grow in worship, we need to enter in like Jordan had us enter in today, just low. It's really, really, really low. Amen. Romans 12.1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. In view of God's mercy, offer yourselves. Amen. Um, I believe the Lord is, is looking for people who will be like this woman 
who will be people who will view the mercy of God each and every day and therefore offer themselves a holy sacrifice unto him. I also believe he's, he's looking for people like David, who's a man after God's own heart. I, I personally love David a lot. He was crazy and he was passionate and lived radically. And just this week I was, I was reading second Samuel uh, six and seven. And uh, if you don't know the story, I encourage you to read it this week. But essentially the temple of the Lord, or sorry, the tent of the Lord is being moved into a city in 2 Samuel 6. And, and this is where the presence of God lives. And David is just becoming king over Israel. And the temple of the, or the tent of the Lord comes into the city. And as it's coming into the city, there's this really radical, radical picture of David dancing undignified before the Lord, where he is celebrating the Lord with all he is, and he's wearing just a sackcloth, you know, so he's essentially naked in front of the whole town, in front of the whole people dancing unto the Lord, giving all that he is unto him. Can you imagine? That'd be like the president of the United States in the White House on TV dancing unto the Lord in very little clothing, like, don't get me wrong, I am not advocating for this here. Can you imagine if I would have made that? Oh, never mind. <laughs> and so David is the king of Israel, and he is dancing like a maniac, throwing a party because the blessing and the presence of God has come into the town. Like losing his mind, offering all that he is. Just I imagine him, just, but don't try and imagine two hearts. And he's just dancing with all that he has. And his wife is looking from the, her bedroom and is sitting and looking at David and he is, she is standing in judgment and she is angry and frustrated with that her husband would so shamefully act like this in front of all of Israel. And she's concerned about all the other women and what they're going to think. And so we see this picture where, where she comes and she confronts King David and she says, what are you doing? You look like a fool. You're going to cause these other women to stumble. Why are you acting like this? You are the king of Israel. And listen to what David said to his wife. He said, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler, the, the rule of the Lord's people of Israel. I will celebrate the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this. I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. David, <laughs> this isn't crazy. The king, the king of Israel, his wife standing in judgment, and he says, it wasn't for you. It was for the Lord. He was with me before. He was with me when no one else was with me. He was with me when I was in the pasture. He was with me when your dad tried to kill me. He has been with me. And so therefore I will set myself apart and I will become even more undignified than this because he is that worthy. Verse 
This made God really happy. I want to make God happy. Who wants to make God happy? Listen to how happy it made God. So David looks at his wife and says, I don't think, essentially, I don't care what you think. It's probably not the best thing to do with our actual spouses, but it's what David did. He said, I will dance before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this. And then what we see in chapter 7. Oh, now when the king lived in his house, David, the Lord had given him rest from all the surrounding enemies. The king said to Nathan the prophet, see now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, who is David, go do all that is in your heart for the Lord is with you. Verse four, but that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? <laughs> See, it wasn't the dancing in the sackcloth that made the Lord, like that's not the ticket to why the Lord trusts David. But it was that radical action that says, I will celebrate before the Lord, that I will give him what he deserves, is what led to the Lord trusting David. He so trusts David that he says, then prophet says, go do whatever you want, the Lord is with you. Can you imagine if our hearts, <laughs> if we loved him and worshiped him and consecrated ourselves like David did, the Lord would just look at us and says, I trust you, go, I am with you. And then he asked David the biggest honor that anybody could ever be asked. So far, David, or God has lived in a tent and he's been moving from town to city to village to village all throughout Egypt from the time when they were in exile. God has been living in a tent and he's been looking for a man to build a temple that God could live in. And it was David that he chose. And it was David because David was pure in heart and chose to worship the Lord his God with all of his heart, with all of his mind, with all of his soul, and with all of his strength. David was a man when all odds were against him, chose to say, I will live a way to honor you above all else. I will consecrate myself to be a worshiper, to be a Levite. And it doesn't matter what all the world can look and stand and judge me and think my worship looks crazy and thinks that my wife could hate my worship. But you know what? It wasn't for her. It was for the Lord. And I feel like the Lord wants in our house, he wants people that say, will you build me a house where I can rest my glory in? He's looking at us, church, and he's saying, 
This is the, the beauty of the cross, the beauty of the death and resurrection of Jesus, is that me and you are now that house that he chooses to reveal his glory through. This is the power of the blood of Jesus, is that we now are the temples of God. <laughs> and I believe tonight, uh, you know, I remember very, very specifically in my night, in my life, there was a night where I consecrated myself before the Lord. I said, Lord Jesus, I want to live like David lived. I was at my wit's end in life. I was done. I, I, I was done living for the world. And I said, I want the way that I live, all of it to just simply honor you. I want to be a worshiper in spirit and in truth. I'm done worshiping the things of this world. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. And it's, and there's a consecrating kind of moment where the Lord wants to set us apart. And he says, will you be somebody that when all of hell is raging against you, will you choose to be a minister unto me? Will you choose in the darkest of seasons and in the highest of seasons? Will you choose to love me with the way you spend your money? Will you choose to love me with the way that you talk to people? Will you choose to love me in church? Would you choose in worship to not care about the appearance of things and what things sound like, but will you be someone that finds the God in everybody, that finds the Jesus in everybody and love the church radically because that's what Jesus did. Jesus didn't wait for a perfect bride to die. He, he, he died when we were the most adulterous bride that has ever been. And true worshipers say, I will love the bride of Christ and I will love Jesus with all that I am because he first loved me and he first loved you. And I, I honestly tonight, I, I, don't, I don't think everyone needs to do this, but I do believe that there are people that need to consecrate themselves before the Lord. That your worship has been, you've, you've given half of yourself to worship. That self is too much of the, you know, we don't like the word self-righteousness in the church. But the truth is, self-righteousness is just thinking about yourself more than other people and more than God. It's, I am of supreme value in my life. And so I just, I just believe that the Lord um, tonight that he wants to, I don't know how many of you, it could just be a few, but I, I saw a picture this morning and it was kind of random. It was a picture where uh, I asked the room, I said, for those of you who have already consecrated yourself before the Lord and said, I will give myself to minister to you all the days of my life. I saw a group of people raising their hand, testifying that it is worth it. And then I saw a picture of a few who said, now it's my turn to step in and join the movement of first seeking the Lord our God with all that we have. 
And so I just, uh, yeah, if we can just dim the lights, and I'm going to ask Johnny and Maria uh, to come up. But I just, I felt like uh, if, if you, I don't even know how to do this. I'm just being real and messy. Is that fine? If you've consecrated yourself before the Lord and said that I will be a Levite, and I will be one who ministers to him and gives him, all the glory, all the days of my life. I just encourage you, let's just end this service how we started it, by just getting on your knees. If you've been somebody that has said, I, am ch- I have chosen, and you just want to testify, you just want to testify that he is worth it. So if you've uh, never consecrated yourself to the Lord and said, I, I set myself apart, to minister to you however you want me to minister to you. If you've never consecrated yourself before the Lord and and you want to tonight, I encourage you to look around the room and uh, join all of your your brothers and sisters on their knees and, and consecrate yourself before the Lord. And if you feel like you need to think about it, that's okay. I, it is a weighty, weighty, weighty decision. And I'm, I'm actually going to invite Scott Bailey. Will you come up here? Scott is a, a man in our church that I've... Uh, I've watched this year humble himself under the mighty hand of God and become a minister under the Lord. And I've watched what God done in his life. And I just, uh, he doesn't he didn't even know I'm doing this, but I'm just gonna have him release just faith to be, to be a minister to the Lord. I'm just gonna have him release whatever's inside of you, Scott. months ago in worship I heard the Lord speak to my heart and he said the Levites are emerging the Levites are emerging the Levites were a tribe that didn't get any inheritance of land their inheritance was the Lord He was their inheritance. He was their reward. And the Lord is 
just drawing a line in the sand. There's a there's a separation in worship. It's a priestly Levitical worship movement that's coming. Where their reward is going to be him. He will be the reward. And the Levites were able to host and move the Ark of the Covenant. (laughs) And it was on wooden poles, which was representative of the cross. is just asking all of us including me that he wants his heart just like he wanted tonight your heart is the seatbed of all affections in this consecration moment he is asking can I be the seatbed of your affections Could I be the one that is your deepest desire? And Lord, we just want to respond to the the knocking on the heart, Lord. We just answer the call to be worshipers, God worshipers that worship you in spirit and in truth, God. Let us be a people that worship in humility and in purity, God. Humility, God. I even heard Andrew Murray who wrote a book on humility and he said you're not more humble unless you're adoring the Lord (laughs) so Lord break out adoration in this house God that we would minister to your heart God that we would know your touch we would know what moves your heart and we would respond to your touch God Worship is not unto something, it's unto someone. (laughs) It's unto someone. It's a man who's got holes in his hands. So consecrate us tonight, Lord. Just... We want to be set apart as an offering, God, that our hearts would be an incense that burns on an altar for the days of our lives, God. A pure offering, God. Yes, Lord. A pure offering, unblemished, God.
Levites are emerging, God. The Levites are emerging. A royal priesthood that knows your touch, that knows how to minister to your heart, God, that knows your, your movement and will respond to you, God. So I would just ask all of us, including myself, Lord, just we will be ones like David, ones like Mary of Bethany, ones like the woman that would break in and just pour our heart's affections on your feet, God. A ministry unto your feet, where your feet are our pillow, your feet are our crown. We would just lay down everything at your feet, God, and just say you are worthy, Lord. God, prepare us, God. Prepare your bride. We long to see your glory like David did, God. We want to build a reputation in heaven in this place, God. A place where you can inhabit and recline God let us be a people that you can trust with your presence who knows every movement as you move in a room God who is infatuated with who you are and longs for your presence and when you're when we sing songs to you, you respond, God, we, we just long to see your glory, God, the glory that's found in the face of Jesus Christ, God. I just pray that there's going to be lingering, beholding corporate moments in this house, God, where we sit and stare and get transformed into your image, God. Let us be a tribe that can behold you, God, and adore you like never before, God. As you're, as you're before the Lord, just say, I do. <laughs> I do. He, uh, he has no one else to work with but you. <laughs> and there's no buyer's remorse. He's, <laughs> he's glad to be working with you. So, Lord, we just, we come before you, Lord, and we just, we offer our hearts. And, Lord, set us apart set us apart to be ministers unto your heart, God. A consecrated bride that has one thing on their mind, and that is the bridegroom, Jesus himself. And then as a bride who is most interested in her wedding day, God, let us lock eyes with our bridegroom, God. Cleanse us and purify us, God. We long to see your glory.
totally go. And if you feel like the Lord is just um, waiting you to stay and linger in this place, uh, Johnny, Maria, and Helen are just going to keep ministering into the Lord. And so just encourage you to just press in. If you want to come up for prayer, you can come up. If you need to come kneel before the Lord, just so let's just be uh, respectful for those who are consecrating themselves and be quiet on your way out. <laughs> 